The Stranger Things Podcast, episode number three, Holly Jolly. Hey, can I help you? Uh, yeah, we're here for a tour. Well, we don't give tours. Okay. A uh, quick look around. Uh, you have to get clearance for that. You can contact uh, Rick Schaefer at the Department of Energy. Maybe you've seen it on TV. We got a local kid that's missing. We have reason to believe he might have snuck in here. Like I said, you have to speak to Mr. Schaefer. What's your name? Patrick. Patrick, I got a panicked mayor, and I got reporters breathing down my neck, and I got a very upset mother. Now, I know the kid's not in there, but I got to check off this box. Patrick, would you do me a favor? Would you speak to your boss and see what you could swing for us? I'd really appreciate it. Welcome to the Stranger Things podcast, a fan podcast dedicated to the Netflix series. Stranger Things. Nicely done, Addison. Thank you. Yeah. By the way, I'm Daryl. And I'm Addie. <laughs> Hopefully you know that by now. If you've been uh, tuning in each episode, this is our fourth episode. The first one was episode zero, just kind of an intro. This is covering uh, chapter three of Stranger Things. And I am really enjoying doing this podcast with you cool i love stranger things <laughs> that's okay that's okay you don't have to pay me the same compliment you i mean seriously you don't have to i mean i love doing this with you dad you were totally my first choice <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 whatever well tell us who wrote and directed this episode it's written by jessica mecklenburg and directed by sean levy and who are jessica mecklenburg and sean levy the writers and directors of this episode. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Okay. How are they related to one another? They both work with Stranger Things. That's right. Okay. You wiggled your way through that pretty well. Because that's what I've been asking you every week with the Duffer Brothers. Right. Mm-hmm. There, yeah. So nicely done. You you uh, saved yourself through that one. Thanks, bro. You're welcome. Well, uh, let's see. In case this is your first time joining us for an episode of the Stranger Things podcast, you know, you don't have to go back and listen to them all that we've done prior to this, especially if you have already seen the entire first season. Uh, The format of our podcast is Addie has seen the entire season. I have not. I've only seen up to the point of this episode we're talking about today. So I'm watching it, trying to figure out what's going on. She's watching it, making fun of me because I'm making terrible uh, predictions. And uh, so that means if you've seen the whole series, you can start right here and listen along. But we'd love it if you'd go back and check out the rest of the episodes that we've done. We're going to get things kicked off today with an episode recap. Then we are going to spend the majority of our time talking our way through the episode, just talking about the different scenes and the things that we, we enjoyed, the things that stuck out to us. Then we're going to take some listener feedback. Addison has picked her favorite quote of the episode, which we call the quote of the week. Then I will as I mentioned before, talk about my predictions for future episodes where the series, what the series might do or what storylines might happen. And after that, we'll talk about some news and perhaps some rumors, but no no rumors today, just some news. And then we'll wrap it all up with Addie's favorite segment, the meme of the week. The meme of the week. (laughs) All right, Addie, let's get it kicked off with our episode recap. Once again, the script for this comes from the great folks who are putting together the fan wiki for Stranger Things. You can find that over at strangerthings.wikia.com and here's the recap. 
While Nancy and Steve are making out on Steve's bed, Barb is shown in what looks like another dimension in Steve's empty pool, but overgrown and in ruins. Barb climbs up the pool ladder and screams Nancy's name, but she's not heard, and the mysterious monster drags her back into the depths. Meanwhile, Mike, Dustin, and Lucas decide to meet Eleven after school, and she'll lead them to where Will is hiding. Before this happens, Eleven decides to explore Mike's house. She looks around at Nancy's room, then watches their TV. While switching channels, Eleven notices a commercial for Coca-Cola, which triggers a flashback. Eleven is shown in the Hawkins laboratory, where she is forced to use her telekinetic abilities to manipulate a Coca-Cola can. Eleven succeeds, however, her nose begins to bleed, as Dr. Brenner smiles behind a glass. In another flashback, Eleven is hooked up to a machine monitoring her brain waves. The scientists force Eleven to kill a cat with her abilities, but she cannot bring herself to do so. Dr. Brenner has her put into solitary confinement, and she screams Papa when the scientists drag her down the hallway. They throw her into solitary confinement, but before they can close the door, Eleven telekinetically kills the two guards. Dr. Brenner comforts Eleven as her nose and ears are bleeding, and then calls her incredible. Chief Hopper manages to get into the Hawkins laboratory, but doesn't find much evidence of Will's disappearance. However, when he is shown the security footage from the night of Will's disappearance, Hopper notices there isn't any rain in the footage, despite the huge storm which occurred that night. Hopper tells the other cops that he suspects the staff at the laboratory are lying. These events cause Hopper and two other cops to visit a library and search for any newspaper which mentions Hawkins National Laboratory. The newspaper clips show Dr. Brennan working with several patients, one of which is Terry Ives. Hopper reads enough information on Dr. Brenner in the old newspaper archives to suspect him of involvement in Will's disappearance. Meanwhile, Joyce's Christmas lights start flickering, which leads her to a crawl space with more lights in her hands. Will begins speaking to her through the lights, with one flicker as yes and two flickers as no. He then tells Joyce that he is alive. She asks if he is safe, but Will replies no. Since their communication is stuck to one-word answers, yes and no, Joyce paints the alphabet on her wall and uses the Christmas lights as a Ouija board. Nancy comes home and reveals to her mother that something terrible has happened to Barb. In the library, Hopper discovers the MK Ultra program, which involved Dr. Brenner. Hopper wonders if Will was in the wrong place at the wrong time and witnessed something he shouldn't have. In the woods, Eleven leads the boys to Will's house and says that he's hiding there. None of them believe her, as Will would have been found already. Suddenly, police cars and an ambulance rush by, and they head off to follow. Back at the house, Joyce has Will spell out where he is. Will lights up right here, which distresses Joyce. Will then spells out run as the mysterious monster starts crawling out from the wall to take Joyce. Joyce runs out of the house as all of the lights begin flickering erratically. Meanwhile, Chief Hopper and the police are led to a body of water in the canyon. A body can be seen being pulled out of the water, which everyone assumes is Will. The three boys and Eleven doubt that the lifeless body is indeed Will, but they catch a glance of it and realize it is him. They watch on, devastated, 
and questioned Eleven as to why she said Will was alive. Eleven can't give Mike any answers, which causes him to run home to his mother's arms. Simultaneously, Joyce is running down the road, away from the monster, and encounters Jonathan. They then begin to hug. All right. I am ready to talk about this episode. How about you? I love this episode. You know, you said you love this episode. This might be my favorite episode so far. I mean, it's hard for me to say that. It's only... I mean, of the three, obviously, but the episode, the pilot episode or episode one was so good. I mean, it, it set the stage. It was really strong, but, um, man, this one really has me like excited and scratching my head and, and just trying to put more pieces together because I have more information. So I, that might also be why this is probably my favorite of the three so far, but they've all been, been really good. I loved this episode though. Like as soon as I finished watching it was, which was about, uh, two o'clock this morning, I was like, I want to watch that again, but I really need to go to bed. So I went, I went to bed and looking forward to watching it again today. I loved it. What about you? What, what was your favorite or what was your, not your favorite, what was your first impressions when you saw this episode for the first time? I don't know. I think the opening scene where uh, Barbara's in the pool, I think that scared me because I just wasn't expecting it. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love this episode because you learn a lot more about the boys in 11 and yeah. yeah. What's interesting is I had actually seen the scene with Barb before, but I didn't remember that I had seen it before until I saw it this time. I'm like, Oh, I've seen this before. And the reason I've seen it before was because, you know, your mom and I were a little bit concerned with if this show was going to be appropriate for you. And even after and we didn't find out you had watched it until after you had watched it. So we were even then, like even some of the language and stuff like that, we're not crazy about, even though you hear it at school and stuff like that. I mean, you hear worse than that, but the end of the last episode and the beginning of this episode with Nancy and Steve, yeah, we needed to kind of watch that scene and see what was going on. And in the midst of this scene, with Steve and Nancy, you have the Barb scene. So, and that was all I had. I, and I forgot that I'd even preview that when I was t- like in the preview episode that we did, when I was talking about what I had seen of the show, technically I had seen just the Steve and Nancy parts. And then of course, Barb sandwiched in the middle there. So, but like I said, I completely forgot about it until, so like when I was theorizing last week about the parallel universe or dimension and all that stuff, I, honestly, the Barb scene that I had actually already seen didn't remember it in the least. So that did not come into my my predictions last week. Nice but job. Thanks. Yeah. But man, it was uh, that's a great way to start the episode, isn't it? Not the Steve and Nancy stuff, but the, the Barb scene mm-hmm. really gets you like your wheels turning. Like what in the world? Where is she at? What's going on? And, and that sort of thing. Do you remember what any of your thoughts were specifically regarding Barb? Bob. I almost said Bob. It's like the big, thick Boston accent. What about Bob? Where's Bob going? I don't remember Yeah. what I was thinking. I watched this um, for the first time in like October Yeah. or like November sometime um, last year. And I don't really remember what I was thinking. Yeah. That's the bummer thing because I I do wish you remembered and I and I completely understand that I don't know that I would either if I were in your chair right now. Mom wouldn't. <laughs> but I feel like the conversation is so of this podcast is so much me 
spitting out because you're having to hold back and I feel bad for you because like you can't tell me your fresh thoughts because your fresh thoughts are season uh, with a head full of season knowledge and uh, so anyway I feel bad for you. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. So when I'm seeing Barb in the pool, I mean she's in the pool. At first I wasn't, I didn't realize it was the pool but you figure out right away. I mean almost right away that it is in fact a pool and then once she starts crawling out of it and you see the the ladder, all that. There's no question it's in a pool. It looks like Steve's house, but it's all like overgrown with, I don't know, vines or something. Weed. Yeah, <laughs> weed. <laughs> um, so it's in the pool. It's at Steve's house, but it's different. So, you know, last week when I threw out the theory that I thought that there was a parallel dimension or alternate re- universe, whatever you want to term that, Feeling pretty good about that theory. Feeling pretty good about it. He could have just redecorated. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a possibility. She did spit something up though when it first when you know the camera was like right above her and she coughed something up. I don't know if that was supposed to be water because she got drugged underwater to to be where she's at. I don't know if the just the the transferring from wherever she was to wherever she is, you know, caused her to have a reaction which caused her to vomit a little bit. I really couldn't tell. You know, it would remind me of Lost. You've never seen Lost, but when they would bring people to the island, a lot of times they would get sick when they first arrived. And that's kind of what, what it reminded me of either. So I wasn't sure if she got sick because she had arrived to this new place or if it was just water because she went through the pool. Maybe we'll find out. Probably not a big deal. You got any thoughts on this scene? Yeah, she's calling for Nancy. And it seems like whenever she's doing that, um, Nancy like stops what she's doing and she's like wait hold on a second Mm -hmm. something's not right here and then steve's like are you okay and she's like yeah yeah i'm fine and then she just keeps yelling and then she gets sucked down Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's interesting that nancy had that uneasy feeling um or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. i wonder if if nancy will remember that because nancy obviously knows now that barb is missing i wonder if She'll go, oh, that's what that instinct was that I had or something. I don't know. It's, it's irrelevant, but um, yeah. One of the things we saw a lot in this scene in, or this episode, and we've, gosh, the flickering lights, electricity thing. I mean, that's been a thing since the very first scene of the show, right? We saw lights flickering at the lab in the very first scene of the show. Yep. And we've seen it when the boys left. Uh, Mike's house, right? The, the lights flickered out on their driveway. But man, they're really going crazy over at Joyce's house. And Joyce is crazy. I mean, she's not crazy. She, her behavior is crazy. And she seems crazy to other people. But she's probably more in tune with Will than anybody else. And she's able to figure out that there's some sort of communication that's trying to go on here throughout the course of the episode. We'll talk about it as it kind of progresses through. But uh, she's got all these lamps, like every lamp in the house practically has been moved into Will's room. She's calling for him. Jonathan wakes up and and goes in there. Jonathan thinks she's crazy. You know, he thinks that she's sleep deprived and, you know, panicked probably and just crazy because of that. But she's not. She's she's actually pretty. She's getting closer to figuring out some pretty important pieces of information. Did you notice anything in particular in, on Will's uh, in Will's room? Oh well, this isn't 
not it's not really like a decoration piece or anything but whenever jonathan comes in uh she says that um will can you show your brother what you showed me so they were talking before yeah that's a good point that's a really good point and i i don't know what it was it might have just been the lights flickering because the light did flicker Mm -hmm. but um yeah i just really i love how joyce is you know, just persistent and trying to, she believes Will's trying to communicate with her and she just keeps honing it in until there's She no... doesn't stop believing. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Did you notice the Jaws poster on, on his wall? I think so. Yeah. Jaws is another one of those movies we talked about in episode zero. It's a Spielberg movie. And it's another one of those where something from below is trying to get you and drag you down. Like we talked last week with, uh, the evil dead and stuff like that. So, and, and specifically we talked last week about jaws because I said when Barb's blood hit the water, the Demogorgon showed up instantly. And I was like, what other animal is drawn to the, you know, is drawn to blood like that? (laughs) Five minutes later. Oh yeah. I edited that. So it didn't seem like it was took you five minutes to figure that out, but you know, you can go ahead and tell everybody if you want to. (laughs) You can edit this part out too. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, so I had no idea Jaws was going to show up this week, but um, I feel a little bit validated on that observation from last week. It was a pretty obvious one, though, so I'm not going to give myself too much credit. Okay, let's talk about the boys and Eleven, because every scene with them is pretty freaking awesome. That's true. Yep. <laughs> um, so we're back at Mike's house. They've met there before school. They're putting together their plan so they can go find Will, try to find Will after school that day. Lucas has some weapons. He's got a hammer, uh, a knife from Vietnam, and some binoculars from Vietnam. Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> what does Dustin bring? Dustin, he, okay, he, um, I was actually going to make this the quote of the week. Yeah. Uh, whenever he's listing off literally all the food that he brings. I think that is super funny because that's literally something I would do. Just bring food. It is. Uh, you, yeah. I mean, and then it was hilarious though. It's like all junk food too. Well, he did mention like a banana and an apple, I think. But and trail mix. He did mention trail mix. Yeah. It's the last thing he said. Yeah. But it was all like otherwise junk Pez, food. Pring- Pringles. <laughs> Smarties. Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious though. I love though. Again, Dustin steals this scene. Where he's he he takes the Millennium Falcon toy and he's like, here, make it fly. Plop. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. Plop. So, and they're like, she's not a dog. Yeah. So a few minutes later, like as soon as they leave, like, the next time we see her, she's just sitting there totally chill casually, just like, yep, this thing's flying. I'm making it do it. And then suddenly she's like, oh, I'm not interested anymore. And then she just does Ex- something else. Exactly. Just like, and it falls. I just thought that was so funny. She's not a, she's not a toy that they can just play with and make do. She little. does it when she wants to. That's right. That's right. And I just, I love that. That was so awesome that uh, she, she did it like that. Um, but I will say, okay, going back to what you told me in the preview episode that you and I did where. The directors told her to act like E.T. And again, I I mean, I kind of see, and I'm not saying they asked her to mirror or, or to completely act like E.T. They just asked her to kind of think about the situation E.T. was in and, and use that maybe as some of her motivation. 
again, that's how I interpreted what you said. I, I never have seen that, that quote that you mentioned, but when she's home alone and Mike is gone off to school, the house is empty. I mean, there's a scene on ET exactly like that, that, you know, they have to go to school and play this off. They can't just, he calls in or he's, you know, Elliot is sick the first day. And then the second day he has to go to school. That's what we've seen here with Mike. He was sick the first day. Now he has to go to school. And in E.T., that's when E.T. gets drunk. He drinks the beer, and then Elliot can feel what E.T. is feeling, and he starts burping and getting sick at school. Do you remember that scene? Kind of, yeah. Kind of. Um, that's the scene I'm talking about. Now, Mike wasn't able to to feel what L was going through or anything like that, but you had this foreigner in his house, just kind of exploring and looking around and poking through things and just being really curious and trying to figure things out. And so, um, it was a really, really interesting scene though. We, we get, again, let's get to learn a little bit about 11 because when she's flipping to the TV channels, um, you know, she sees the Coke commercial and that causes her to have a flashback, which I love the flashbacks because we're learning more things about her. Yeah. I mean, after watching the entire series a couple of times, you get kind of bored of the flashbacks because you know what happens already. Sure. But yeah, I I like that they did that because um, you get to know more about her. Yeah. Did you recognize the cartoon that was on for just a second when she was flipping through the TV channels? I looked at it, but I like I saw it, but I didn't recognize it at all. Oh, man. I got to do a better job. That was He-Man. Masters of the Universe. I've never heard of that. Never heard of that. I can remember, let's see, I was nine years old. 80 years ago? Um, yes, Addison. And I remember that because that was the year that my parents got divorced. And He-Man was huge. And he wasn't just huge for a year. But that was what I remember specifically is I wanted He-Man, you know, being the, the popular cartoon, had all the action figures. Uh, Skeletor was his great nemesis, which is like a skull looking guy. And uh, Skeletor had his companions that were the evil dudes, and He-Man had his. And uh, He-Man had this car with these really funky-looking wheels. And then there was this Castle Grayskull, which you know, all this stuff you could buy, and it was all expensive, right? And kind of um, like the pop characters. No, they're more like you know, like GI Joe action figure type of things. Well, yeah, I was um, just saying that they're like collectibles stuff like that uh, oh we didn't see them as collectible we just saw them as toys today if you still have them it's like star wars figurines if they're whatever their condition is and if they're in box and all that stuff it raises their value yeah some of them are very collectible for sure um and we might have had like the he-man like if, if we ever had anything it was just the action figures and then my dad and stepmom got married and my stepbrother had not only he-man and skeletor and the he-man had like this tiger thing that he would ride it and he had the car that he-man would drive around in and he had the castle and i was just like my goodness i was so jealous that jason had all these amazing he-man toys but did he let you play with them um very rarely he was pretty stingy with his toys especially at first because we were trying to figure each other out we were we were the invaders we came and lived at their house and when it was just been he and his sister and his mom and now here's this guy and his two sons moving in and you know that that transition was kind of rocky. So, but anyway, He-Man was like super cool. Great, great cartoon of that era. Absolutely fits. So it was cool to see them put that in the show. I'm wondering where they found all these old commercials from. 
like just i would imagine just like having to collect all this really old 80s stuff that would be pretty hard yeah i don't know i mean maybe the people who created that stuff still have it in their archive somewhere and, and you can license it to use on a television show like the old products like they've that old coke can it didn't look like a modern coke can right so all that stuff has to be recreated and i'm sure these tv studios have it available for licensing purposes or something and the egos mm -hmm. did those look the same i couldn't really tell yeah, the Ego logo hasn't really changed and as, as far as I can recall. I mean, and, and that's all it is because I haven't seen an 80s era Ego studied one. There's the one that's shown in the Stranger Things trailer, right? Lego my Ego. Yeah. You Lego my Ego. Eleven. But other than that, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I remember them to be very, very similar to the way they look still today. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So as Elle is exploring the house, now give me your opinion on this. She goes into Nancy's room. She sees the little ballerina music box and stuff like that. She goes over to, she has a little memo board, all kinds of pictures and stuff. And we definitely see some pictures of Nancy with Barb. And to me, it looked like Elle looked at those pictures with some sort of familiarity and specifically Barb, like she seemed to recognize Barb. Did I imagine that or did, is that what happened? I didn't really notice that um, if she was looking at Barb longer, I was kind of just looking at the pictures. Yeah. The reason I'm asking, you know, last week we talked about, I talked about how I couldn't figure out how she would have seen Will. Cause she definitely recognized a picture of Will and that was like the timing. I don't know how and where the placement, I just don't see how it happened. But if she also recognized Barb, well now there's no question that she has not encountered Barb. Barb did not go missing the same night she escaped. There's no way their paths could have crossed. So that would lead me to believe that she has the ability to, and I don't know the right word. I don't think it's telekinesis. Telekinesis is moving things with your mind. Is it tel tel uh, telepathy, maybe? Being able to have some sort of vision and, and see beyond space and time and have a connection with someone who's in trouble, connected somehow to you. You know what I mean? Which would explain how she was able to, to recognize Will. If it didn't matter if they had physically seen each other, if she knew that he was somehow tied into this thing, like they are all connected somehow, then that would explain why she recognized Will and, you know, would also explain why she recognized Barb. But I wasn't sure if she recognized Barb. That wasn't real clear to me. Okay. <laughs> okay. You give me that look again, so I'll move on. Let's talk about Hopper a little bit. Hopper is, we talked last week about how he, has a past where he was a cop in a in the big city, mm -hmm. and I I think they gave us that line for perhaps two reasons. One, so that there's some story, some backstory there, perhaps to explore, perhaps just to make him more interesting. But two, you know, as a viewer, you you want if it's a small town cop, then you want to say small town talent. You know, he's not a very good cop. He's just, a, he's just good enough for what this town needs. But if you say he used to be in, in the big city, then perhaps there's more talent there than might otherwise be found in this small town. And I say that because now he's being tasked with 
leading up an investigation that's pretty significant. We've got a lot of big time things going on in the small town of Hawkins. And so he's doing some pretty good police work, even with his limited resources. So, you know, we, when we see him in action in this episode, both as he confronts the guard at the lab and in the library and, and starting to put all these pieces together, you know, he's doing some pretty good police work, I, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think he's a lot smarter than all his, um, like, co-workers. Yeah. yeah. they're not the brightest. They don't really come with that many ideas. Like, the... One dude who is in the, um, he was one of the guys that goes with him to mm-hmm. check the security tapes. He's like, where are your space weapons? Yeah. And that's the same guy last week that was like, so did they sleep together? Or, you know, talking about him and Joyce and he wouldn't yeah. let it go. And it was just like, he's not very bright. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's not really seeing the big picture here. Like, dude, the conversation ended five minutes ago. <laughs> right. Right. But anyway, Hopper takes him to the lab. And they gets him to show them around. I, you know, he, t- he that was our opening quote when he talks the guard into getting in again, doing some good police work. You know, he could have gone about that in a number of ways. He could have tried to flex his muscle, you know, saying, hey, I'm the sheriff around here and the, or the police chief and you're going to do what I say or I'm going to go get a warrant. You know, any of those other things. Instead, he just he felt like in this situation, reason with the guy, keep calm. Don't put them on guard. And see what it gets us. And it got him in the building. Didn't get him any information except to the, for them to know that the guys at the lab are definitely hiding something. Mm-hmm. Which he figured that out. And the other guys were just like, okay, it was raining. What's your point? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Again, showing he is a cut above um, the other guys. So one thing that I that caught my eye when when, when they leave, you know, we get that the camera zooms into that air intake duct, which then the camera goes down to the lab where they're they're working, trying to figure out what's going on. That's where that I'll call it the crack in the wall. I can't really tell it because it's got that it's got that vines and stuff around it, just like we saw in the pool when we saw Barb. And that's what it looks like to me. The stuff that's surrounding that area looks like the same debris, if you will, or or. I don't know what else to call it. I'm not coming up with the right word, but you know what I mean. Um, but anyway, they were securing something to the ground. And to me, it looked like a winch. A what? A winch. What's that? A winch is something you might see them uh, uh, on the front of like a Jeep or something like that. So it's a motorized rope, if you will. And so if the Jeep gets stuck, you can take it and you it's a cable not a rope, but a cable, and you might put it around a tree, secure it around a tree, and then engage the motor, and it'll slowly wind up the cable, thus pulling the Jeep out of the mud or whatever you're stuck in. You can use a winch in a number of situations, but that's where you might see one. And so what I'm thinking is, okay, do you remember the episode of The Twilight Zone? I don't remember what it's called, but it's where the little girl is, oh my gosh, so many parallels here, just flooding in. Uh, Okay, the little girl is calling out for her mom and dad and they go into her bedroom and they can't find her and they call the friend over and he realizes that she's fallen through the wall into another dimension. Oh yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And so what they do is I think he holds onto his arm as he goes through the wall. The, the, the neighbor guy friend goes through the wall while he has the dad hold onto his arm. And so he can pull him back through. Right. And they, they end up pulling the dog and the girl out at the very last minute. And then the walls 
solid and the, the dimension or the portal into the other dimension closes, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what I, I couldn't tell, it looked like a winch to me. They're bolting it into the ground to secure it. And I'm thinking one of those guys is going to put that cable around his waist or tie it to a harness, which is attached to him and go through that hole or crack, whatever you want to call it, into the other, the par- the, the portals of the other dimension. And that way they can use the winch to, you know, make sure he doesn't get, they can pull him back in if they need to. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Did I see what I think I saw? You can't tell me, can you? You give me that look though. I'm feeling pretty good about that observation. Okay. Am, am I allowed to answer that question? I don't know. Because <laughs> even if I answer yes or no, it would still be spoilery. Yeah, cause, I suppose. Because I don't think it answers in this episode. No, clearly it doesn't no, it since doesn't. you're asking. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that theory, though, especially based on the look you just gave me. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about Christmas lights. Pretty. Yeah. Um, let's just kind of talk through this whole light. We kind of mentioned it earlier, rather than maybe sporadically talking about it here and there, because it kind of works its way through the whole episode. Maybe we should just kind of combine these, these thoughts into one. I mentioned already that I thought Joyce was pretty impressive. You know, first she hangs all the Christmas lights, I guess, just to get more lights, more bulbs on for more communication devices, if you will. Mm-hmm. And she goes to the store and buys more lights, which is where we get the Holly Jolly uh, episode name from I think that that song was playing in the background which by the way when I first saw the episode title was called Holly Jolly you remember what I my, my theory was you were like has it been a month already <laughs> I, I was I was like wait he disappeared on November in like first part of November November 6th right mm-hmm. and what year dad 83 mm-hmm. and I was like what are they skipping ahead a month to you know post Thanksgiving and Christmas season uh, what, why else would they say Holly Jolly? Because that's obviously a Christmas song. Anyway, I got that answered. She gets the Christmas ball, like the light ball, wadded up mess. And that's the first time she communicates with Will. When you pull your headphones out of your pocket. <laughs> True story. Yeah. She says, are you alive? He says, yes. Are you safe? No. And then she starts pleading with him to communicate more, and she realizes he can't answer in the yes and no manner. So that she immediately starts, you know, putting the alphabet on the wall. Now, when she had done that, I, re- I realized I've seen that before. We, we, that's pretty popular in memes yeah, it's and like stuff. Iconic. Yeah, where with like I guess there's probably a, like a meme generator out there where you can type in something and it'll light up the lights and you can send messages to people. I think I've seen that. Pretty ingenious, though. Mm-hmm. Do you want to go ahead and talk about the last time we see the lights in play in this episode? Like when he spells out the message? He blinks out right here. Um, mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, good job. Okay, you're here. Uh, I don't know what that means. And then she's like, what can I do? What do I do? Uh, how do I help you? Or, and, yeah, what do I do next or something? And yeah. she, he says, are you? And, and then... The thing comes out of the wall, and then she just takes off running. Yeah. Do you remember what your, this scene, the first time you did it freak you out, or? I don't really remember, but it probably did. Yeah. It's a pretty freaky scene. I mean, you're into it. He's he's communicating with her. It's like, R, you, small delay, and what? And then the Demogorgon comes bursting out of the wall. It's pretty... Lit. 
Yeah, it's a pretty awesome scene. It's a, it's pretty freaky. Okay, so do you think? I guess you know. I don't know. Maybe you don't. Answer what you can. <laughs> is Will the one communicating with her, or is it the Demogorgon communicating with her, or or something else making her think it's Will? Pretty sure it's actually Will. I mean, if it wasn't, then. Like, how would he, like, answer those questions? Like, are you alive? Are you safe? Because if it was something else, wouldn't they want to trick her into thinking he's dead or something? So, like, she stops looking for him because she doesn't believe he's actually dead. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think, too. I think it really is Will. I just, I'm I'm just confused by a few things. Um, Like what? Well, I'm not confused about everything, but... Like, I can see why someone, either the Demogorgon or some other nefarious entity, person, whatever, on the other side would want to keep her there, keep her preoccupied. Because it seems like that creature has come to the wall three times now, tried to come through the wall three times there, once in episode two. Once with Holly in this episode. Holly? What's the little girl's name? Holly. Holly? Okay. I got confused because the episode was Holly Jolly. And I'm like, no, that's where I got that. Um, and then here at the end of the episode that we're talking about, it seems like it's come across three times trying to capture someone. And so... Well, it wasn't that wall before. Um, before it was the one in Will's room. That's right. You're absolutely... Both of the previous times were Will's room. But, but, but still, if you can keep someone there, keep them preoccupied... You know, you set a trap, essentially. That was my why I was thinking maybe it wasn't Will. It was just someone leading her on to keep her there so they could eventually break through and, and nab her. But then what flies in the face of that is, why say run? So, yeah. but, but there's some more confusion, but I, I, won't, I don't want to get ahead to myself. I want to wait till we talk about the final scene or the final big thing. There was a couple of small scenes after it, but uh, okay. Okay. So you're saying you think it's Will though? Mm-hmm. Okay, I think it is too. I was just a little bit. There were some other thoughts. So you were doubting yourself. Yeah, there you go, doubting. Yeah. Okay, Jonathan. We see him developing the photos that he took uh, at the pool party when he was being stalker boy, and then <laughs> Nicole sees them. That gets him into some trouble. She um, seems nice at first because he just she's just like, oh hey, mm-hmm. and then she looks at the pictures and she's like, uh, what? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what that room was? He was in the red room. Is that, do you have any idea what that is? I'm guessing it was red because you have to be able to see and stuff. But if it was like the lights that we have, um, like the, you know, normal lights, then it would like ruin the pictures. Yeah. You know what that room is called? No. Okay. Good. Uh, this is called a dark room. That's li- re- really just yeah, a dark room? A dark room. And... I wish dark rooms were still a thing. I mean, they still are. I don't have any idea where any are. I used to know where, when I was in high school, I knew where two dark rooms were because I, I would go to them regularly to develop film. And it was so much fun. You sound so old. I feel old, but I feel old saying it. But, you know, it's, one of the, it's another one of those things where digital photography has done away with, you know, I told you last week about film and how he was winding his camera and then winding mm-hmm. the film. And that's how I missed it. So what he would do is he would then take that film. You've got undeveloped film inside these canisters. They are, the canister keeps them 
from any light getting in because if any light hits that film it will ruin the exposure and the, the the pictures won't there will be no pictures so then you have to take that film and you can develop it yourself most people that i knew even if they developed pictures themselves they would still take the film to a lab and have the lab turn it into negatives have you ever seen negatives of of a picture before yeah okay and depending on the type of film it was either a color negative or a black and white negative which you could then make either color pictures out of or black and white pictures i only ever did black and white that's all i ever did lame and when color was around but it was for our yearbook that i was doing stuff for and so the photos that we were kind of responsible for were all black and white photos and so um anyway so then once you had the the negatives then you would take them to a room like what he was in it was called a dark room and you had these little projectors and you would take your negative and you the you put it into the projector and a light would shine through it onto this base plate and you would have this uh, light sensitive paper you put it uh, under there so you would you kind of before you pulled the paper out you would kind of line up the negative and and focus the had a, just like any projector you do, it has a lens you can focus and stuff like that then you put the paper underneath there and you turn the light on and you decide how long you want the light to be on. The longer the light is on, the longer the exposure. And the longer the exposure, it's going to affect how dark or light the photo is. So the light goes off. You then immediately take that paper. It still looks white. If you look at it, you don't see anything. And you put it into the first tub of clear liquid that you saw him putting the photo in. Is that just like water? What is it? It's a chemical. I don't know what the chemicals are. I don't know what, what they actually are. We call it developer. So you, you put the, the paper that's been exposed to light into the developer, and now you start to see the photo emerge. And that chemical is going to react with the chemicals in the paper until something forces it to stop. So if you keep that paper in there too long, it'll eventually just turn black. So, but that's another way you can adjust how dark or light the photo is, is by how long you choose to keep it in that developer bath. And so then, it's like filters of the olden days. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you could take it out and then you put it into the next bath, which is called a stop bath, which is going to stop the chemical reaction. And then you, you keep it in there like a minute or something like that, just to kind of make sure that the, the chemical reaction has stopped. At that point, the exposure essentially is locked in to that print. Now you pull it out of there. What if you put it back in the developer? Yeah, I don't think... I don't think it would work. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I ever tried that. I don't think it would work. Um, but then the third bath is a fixer bath. And, that, and I don't know the difference between the, the fixer and the stop bath. But it would, I mean, now, now your photo is fixed. Or, you know, fixed in that it, it won't change or move. Uh, and then once you pull it out of there, then you want to rinse it like with some water or something like that. But if it's paper, how come it's not like, you know, when paper gets wet it like mm. crumbles it well, it's a special paper it's it's designed it's a thick paper it's got chemicals in it, and it you, you can get it in a matte or a glossy finish and stuff like that but it's a paper that's designed i'm sure if it was overly exposed to liquids for an extended period of time it would it would do that but this this is a paper that's okay to get at least initially wet it's designed for that so you could you could drop it in the pool well yeah but then it would be ruined you couldn't use it for development at that point but rip Yep. And then, yeah, and then you dry it, you would hang it up like he was. That's what he, he had him up on those little clothespins to dry because they've been through all these chemical baths. And once it dries, now you've got this 
photo. It was so much fun. I loved going to the dark room. You had so much creativity with, with your light exposures and the chemical exposures. And just, it was fun because that was, it was at that point that you got to see if your photo turned out or not. You know, it wasn't this take a picture and then a second later you see if your photo turned out or not. I mean, it was, it was, it was this moment of discovery on, on how your photo turned out. And it was a lot of fun. Did you ever have any that you like really regret taking? Well, I had plenty of photos that didn't turn out where I was like, well, that sucked, <laughs> but nice job. But I had a lot of others. I mean, I, I took photography in college too. And you know, I, there was some, I got to play with some different lenses and stuff like that. And, and I can remember developing those photos and seeing them for the first time. And it was just really uh, fun uh, seeing how those photos turned out. So anyway, I wish I knew where a photo lab was. Cause I, I think you would really love it. I'd, I'd take you. Yeah, I probably would. Yeah. Anyway, I've blabbed on. I've got one more old machine I'm going to talk about in a minute. So let's move on. You? Yeah, I know. Surprising, isn't it? Okay. Actually, the next thing I want to talk about is in the next scene. Hopper, again, doing some pretty good detective work, uh, ends up at the library. Uh, this was another scene, his, his initial <laughs> scene with the librarian that we considered for quote of the week. Pretty funny stuff. You considered it? I did. You did. You rejected it. You're right. I thought Even, it was hilarious. I'm the one that's supposed to pick the quote of the week and you were like, hey, let's do this. I used your word here in my notes. I said the librarian is salty, but she was. Delete that word. <laughs> okay. So she tells him about the newspapers and then they go and they have this machine. Again, it looks like a negative, right? It's, it's the inverse of what you would like blacks or whites and whites or yeah, blacks. Yeah, people looked really creepy. Right. Do you know what that machine is called? No. No. Wait, wait. Is it the... My micro fiche machine. <laughs> You're reading my notes. Yep. It's a microfish. You're overpronouncing it. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. There were different styles of microfish machines, but you know, this sounds really old. Back before the internet was a thing. I mean, the internet was around still. They, it wasn't like the internet instantly came in and, and eliminated the need for a microfish. But it, you know, you had all these, magazines and newspapers and it was impossible to store them all both because they would disintegrate especially newspapers and you just didn't have the storage space and so they would get scanned and a microfish i'm holding up this this box that has our comic con tickets in it it's probably four by six right a, a, a microfish sheet was even smaller than this probably three by probably four by three inches and it, it would have dozens of newspapers pages on there how? Yeah. They were microscopic. That's the word microfish. And you would, you would put them into the, it's kind of like a microscope. You would put them into in between two pieces of glass, shine a light up through the bottom. It would go through a magnification and a projector and it would, and mirrors would reflect it back onto the screen. And then you would move the, you would move the glass tray around so that you could see different, the different sheets. And that allowed libraries to store tons of information in a very small way. Even when I first started working at the bookstore, when customers would come in and say, hey, do you, can you order me such and such book? We would pull out the microfish film and put it into our microfish reader. We would get those microfish updates from, the, from our distribution centers. Like maybe it was once a month or uh, maybe even more often than that because you know, they're dated. They're, they're printed now that anything new comes in and it's out of date. So we would regularly get these microfishes in from our distributor to let us know what they had in their warehouse that we could order because that was, you know, computers weren't, computer databases didn't exist yet. The internet wasn't 
proficient enough to be able to handle all that information. So I'm cool. so glad. I know. And I'm so glad we don't have to do microfish anymore because the, the way the technology we have today is so much better. I want a tiny newspaper. <laughs> all right. We'll get you a microfish machine for your birthday. No, I want a Polaroid. All right. Okay, I think I'm done with the old people technology of the episode. So if you're then listening, why are you still here, <laughs> Shetty? If you're listening and going, I wish you'd shut up already. I think I'm done for this episode. But I do enjoy. I don't know if you, if you're listening and get, and enjoying it. I do love kind of bringing Edison into a, hopefully a deeper appreciation of what you have access to today. Stranger Things. I have access to Stranger <laughs> Things. Yes. Okay. Mike's mom visits Joyce. I thought this scene was pretty hilarious, actually. What did you think? I know we already talked about some of the things that happened after this, but I wanted to talk about all the light stuff together while we were talking about it. So let's backtrack a little bit and talk about this scene. So whenever um, she's talking to Karen, she tells Karen and Holly that she put the Christmas lights up because Will loves Christmas and she hopes that it'll like bring him home and she's like yeah i know i sound crazy and karen's like no no i totally get it i kind of think she was lying just to make her sound a little more sane but um (laughs) yeah but i don't know i mean that's probably true that he actually likes christmas i mean why would she lie about that but maybe like about the part where she says that they're to bring him home instead of like communication. Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you're I think you're spot on with that. I mean, because if she said these are help, to help me communicate with Will, now she really does sound crazy. I thought it was really interesting where the the lights kind of start going on one by one down the hallway. They're luring Holly down the hall into Will's room, and that's when we see the creature start to come out. I don't think it was purposely for Holly, though. I think it was just there. And if someone just happened to be there, then then seeing the lights, then if they followed, then that's their problem. Yeah. Well, this is one of those scenes, though, that made me wonder if it was Will or let's just say the Demogorgon who was controlling the lights. And maybe to some extent, it's both of them, because it seemed to me like the lights were a lure to get Holly by herself and then the Demogorgon was just moments away from coming out and snatching her, as opposed to, you know, Will trying to get someone into his room so he could communicate privately with them or something like that. That's true. And then she just, like, picks her up, like, seconds before. Yeah. And she's like, she shouldn't be here. Yeah. Um. Thanks for the casserole. You need to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the food. Leave. Yeah. I loved that. <laughs> I don't know why she kicked them out because if I was seeing stuff in the wall and then somebody else sees it too, that means I'm probably not going crazy and it's actually there. Yeah, I think it was just because she wanted them out of the house so she could try to communicate with Will while the, like she felt like one of those moments, because those moments don't happen all the time and it seemed like one was happening and she wanted to be able to freely take advantage of it. I thought she should have talk to Holly a little bit more about it because um I don't know maybe she could have asked her like you know what it looked like because what if because okay during that scene I didn't really see anything in the wall like I heard noises but I didn't actually like see anything Mm -hmm. so either Holly was blocking the view which she doesn't block that much she's five or there just wasn't anything there and she was just like imagining it or something 
Well, I saw it when it was just Holly in the room, but as soon as Joyce and Karen showed up, like, yeah, I didn't see anything. I didn't see the monster retract. It was just instantly a blank wall, which, again, like you said, was she just imagining it, or is the monster that fast? But we saw last week when Barb disappeared, I mean, it was an instant. You blink and you miss it. When you're talking about pulling someone to some other dimension or whatever it is. I still don't know. I just don't, I'm just going to stick with that just because of, you know, simplification that's fast. So it could be that the monster was there and then instantly gone. Yeah. I think I do remember seeing it like before, um, the parents walk in. Yeah. I heard like the noises and stuff. Uh, like I definitely remember the noises. I don't really remember actually seeing it though. Okay. But I kind of do, but not really. Okay, it's almost time for us to talk about the final sequencing and stuff. But before we do that, let's talk about the the other side of this photography scene. We saw Jonathan developing. You mentioned that, um, oh, what's that girl's name? Nicole. Nicole saw those photos. Um, they wait for him by his car and confront him about it. You know, it's really, it's getting really hard to like Steve. I mean... It was always hard for me. Yeah, I was just saying, he never made it easy for him. I haven't, I've never liked him, but he just keeps making it harder and harder. It's one thing to make fun of somebody and be rude to somebody. But you don't break their stuff. No, and you know, you you know that Jonathan and the whole family, clearly they're poor. They don't have a lot of money. You know, he talked about how he was working an extra shift to try to help ends meet. So this camera is a luxury for him. And it's something he's very passionate about. So for Steve to do that, I mean, man. Then they rip up all the pictures. Why can't the Demogorgon take him? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Take him and the bullies who keep making fun of Dustin. Troy and James. Yeah. Whatever their names are. Troy yeah. and James. Okay. Yeah. Just round up Troy, James, and Steve. da da da, da Happy ending. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All well, right. the show can't really end there. Like, if they just dropped everything, took them, I mean, you still never find out exactly what happens to Barb and Will. Yeah, I know. Speaking of Barb, so this was a really important scene, because by this time, Nancy's starting to freak out. She hasn't seen Barb. Barb wasn't at school. And at, at, at lunch, she asked uh, Tommy if she... If he knew uh, where she was, like if he saw her whenever they were leaving the party, um, and well, one he pretended he didn't know yeah, who, who she, she was. was, jerk. And then Steve's like, "Okay, do you know where she is?" And he's like, "No, I don't know where she is." And Steve says, uh, "She's probably just skipping." And Barb, she seems like she's like the straight A student, right? Um, right. just like Nancy is. She knows. Barb wouldn't skip, yeah. so something's wrong. Like, unless she's sick or something, then she knows, like, there's something wrong. Yeah, but then she calls her mom, and her mom's like, oh, I thought she was with you. So she has to, like, quickly play it off. Play it off. And she did, a, you know, a good job playing it off, because she doesn't want to worry her mom. But, Even though she should be. Yeah. Well, we see at the very end of the episode, Barb's mom is at, at Mike's and, and Nancy's house, but she goes and finds Barb's car. It's exactly where she left it, including her... Shirt still in the front seat. Nancy's shirt still in the front seat. Mm-hmm. So Nancy's figuring out that something has happened to Barb, which I'm kind of glad 
when I watched the first episode, so the first episode, you and I didn't talk about Nancy and Steve and those guys at all. I don't think those names ever came up in our discussion. Yeah, I didn't want to talk about them. I don't like them. Exactly. Well, I didn't want to talk about them because I didn't find their storylines very compelling. And so here we get into episode two. And for 90% of the episode, I didn't make any notes about them because I'm still like, they're just taking up airtime. They don't, I don't care about these them. characters don't, don't matter in the main story. And then finally at the pool party at the very end. And that's, I think that was the first time you and I talked about them at all. And so I'm just glad from the point of now we have this, these characters who are now part of the the story that who I actually care about. matter. Yeah. So, just like no yeah. one pays attention to them until like, you know, one of them gets hurt. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, Nancy's pretty freaked out. She's crying and stuff to her mom and all that. So we'll see what happens with that. I'm, I'm glad that she eventually told some adults what was going on. But what happened, what that leads me to believe though is, okay, so she tells her mom the next time we see Hopper, he gets a, a CB radio call saying, hey, is the chief there? We need to talk right now. And so I'm thinking Karen has called the police as, as a missing persons on Barb and now he's going to go interview them and try to find Barb. That's what I thought that call was about. So when they wind up at that quarry lake, or whatever it is, it looked like it's a lake at the bottom of that quarry that's near yeah. Atlanta, that every show, Walking Dead included, every show that films in that area does some shots at that spot at least once in there. I want to go there. I, I, that would be cool. Uh, of course, that, that scene was in the episode last week, too. Anyway, so I was surprised when they when they showed up there. I didn't see that. I didn't see that. And which made me love the episode ending that much more. I didn't see it coming. I cry every single time I watch the ending just because like, not because they find Will's body. Like I don't really care about that part. It's because he starts yelling at 11. Yeah. And, um, even, even Lucas is like, okay, don't do this. Like, like, I don't know if he's talking about getting mad at 11. I'm pretty sure he's not talking about that or just like walking out on them. Um, but whenever he comes home and he's just like hugging his mom, I'm always just like, oh, yeah, it's it is. Uh, the whole thing is sad. I like what you said there about Lucas kind of sticking up for 11 because Lucas has been her biggest. He, he's railed against her. He's been the hardest on her, right? Mm-hmm. Although they were all pretty upset with Eleven, just part because so she leads them to Will's house and says, "This is where he is. He's hiding here." Mm-hmm. And they they're like, "No, he lives here. He's not here." Right. And then instantly the cops go blazing by. I got a really good screenshot just at that point because because whenever they're all like turned facing the road, but the camera's still on them, they're all just like, and yeah, it's. If you scroll down, it's... Or is it in the notes? Yeah, it's like at the very bottom. It's the last screenshot I took. Oh, yeah, it is a good one. Oh, I like that. I love all of these pictures. Just, they're amazing. So they see the cops going by. They follow them to the quarry. Their first thought was Will. Like, they all just say that in unison and mm. they're just, like, speeding off on their bikes. Yeah. And I love it whenever they're on their bikes because <laughs> it's just like, oh, they, they can go anywhere in the, their, like, whole town and their parents don't even care. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. That's the way it was for us. When we lived, you saw our house, we lived a couple miles outside of town, but 
Yeah, we could go on our bikes or go on foot anywhere we wanted. We just had to be home by dinner time. It's a different world back then, though. I wish I could do that. Yeah. So they get to the quarry. You know, okay. When I first saw the the first time I saw the the episode. In fact, your brother and I talked about this when he and I we went to a car show today, and so we were, we were talking about the episode. And I'm at this point, I had only seen the episode one time. And this is what I told him. I said, I don't think that was Will. I said, I, I need to go back and rewatch the first episode. But the body they pulled out looked to me like it had a red jacket on or like a red, what it really looked like to me was like one of those vest jackets. Like a life vest? No, not a life vest. Just a, just a jacket with no sleeves, like a vest jacket. And what, what's and, the point of that? Uh, well, it keeps your torso warm. It's it's for when it's you know cool but not cold, and kind of like what Michael J. Fox is wearing in Back to the Future, and they they make fun of him wearing a life preserver. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can Sim- I can understand that. Yeah, similar to that. And I was like, Will was not wearing that. I don't remember what he was wearing, but I do not remember him wearing red or bright orange, whatever that color was. So. This afternoon. Oh, yeah. I saw you watching episode one again. You saw me watching that again. And sure enough, when he gets ready to leave Mike's house, he puts on a red or bright orange vest jacket. And I'm like, crap. (laughs) (laughs) That stinks. And so when I rewatched this episode, I paid close attention to see if it matched what Will was wearing. (laughs) And it does. But I don't know, Addison, I have, I have no knowledge on this, but I am refusing to believe that Will is dead. Again, there's no reason. I mean, so after rewatching the first episode and this episode, I should be all the more convinced he's dead. But I think, you know how I told you last week about, we were talking about Twin Peaks Mm-hmm. And how when they revealed who killed Laura Palmer, it kind of ruined the, the changed the dynamic of the show, I think is how I termed it. And in, in some cases, it even ruined it. And I don't think that's the case here because of all the love and accolades that this show has received. Like if if this is, in fact, Will's body and he is, in fact, dead, 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 then I guess it's going to be okay because people still seem to love the show. But I don't know. I haven't seen any of those episodes yet. So I, my perspective is, what the heck? How can Will be dead? How can you set me up like this and then show him to be dead? Like, I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. So I am stubbornly going to hold on to no evidence. of the. Uh, I have no evidence to support this. But I'm going to hold on to, in my reality, Will is still alive. I don't know who that is in the lake or... Maybe it's Will from the alternate universe, but the Will that 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 our clan has been looking for is still alive. And I don't know why or how, but that's what I have to go with. Okay. I should have gone to my prediction segment, but it came, you, can, you it, can move it. It came right on out right there. Nah, it's all right. But it's a very moving scene. All the kids are crying. They're all emotional. Like you said, when Mike goes home and runs into his, his mom's arms. It's it's very sad, I know, very like, moving. I only cry when other people cry, like on, on TV shows and stuff. I don't really care about real life, but on TV shows, when other like actors cry and they're good enough, then yeah, like then I'll start being all emotional and stuff. And 
sure enough, whenever the stranger kids, kids, or stranger, <laughs> whenever the stranger things kids are crying, I'm just like, oh no, doesn't, I don't think 11 cries though. I think she's just sitting there like, oh, this is sad, but she, she doesn't smile or anything or she doesn't. No, I don't she think looks she cries. Sad. She looks sad, but she doesn't cry. Yeah. I think she looks confused too. Cause I think she doesn't, maybe doesn't understand why what she was understanding to be true is not, you know, going back. So I said there was something else I wanted to come back to on the, on the lights that I wanted to wait for this final scene on. And that's this, the timing again doesn't, and this is maybe this is the only evidence I have to hold on to about Will being alive. The timing doesn't seem to add up. The chief gets the call. He's on his way to the body. So that means the body has been found. There's been some time when the body is discovered and the chief is called. The chief can get into his car, leave the library, get in his car, and get to where Joyce is. I don't know how much time that is, but there's some time there. 15 minutes, half an hour, I don't know. At the same time, it seems to me that at the same time that Mike and Lucas and Dustin and Eleven were outside Will's house was pretty much the same time, if not just before, Joyce was inside getting the right here run message from Will. Wouldn't they have seen her run out of her house, though? Okay, it's a good point. Because it looked like she went through the back door because she ran back through the kitchen the back door okay so and they were standing in the backyard so they would have seen her okay so the kids just missed her then maybe and then uh i i guess really what i'm trying to say is it seems to me that the body had already been discovered when joyce was getting those messages saying right here run maybe not at least that's the way the editing of the episode made it look and if that's the case and that's that's why i asked earlier is that Will sending those messages? Because if Will was sending those messages, and yet his, you know, his body's been found, that doesn't add up. Maybe the Demogorgon is sending those messages as a trap. Um, or maybe he's not actually dead. That's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm a little confused. And maybe the timing is just off. Maybe that's the answer. I'm sure I'll find out. You give me the look like you can't say anything, and that's that's understandable. Um, so, but she does run out. You're right about that. She meets Jonathan. This is the final scene of the episode um, with the cops now coming towards them. They're coming to. I mean, look. The only reason they would be coming to her house is to tell her the bad news. They just found Will's body. So again, I don't know. I just can't believe it. I'm not going to believe it till I finish the season, <laughs> and that's still the case, I guess. Um, did you notice the song that was playing throughout this whole? scene yes isn't it heroes by david bowie (laughs) (laughs) well you've read my note again you're doing such a good job it is are you familiar with the song at all i listened to it whenever it was playing in the scene oh is that the only experience you have with it i think so i'll have to listen to it again just too bad it's too bad you uh you didn't get to go to coldplay with me last fall Whose fault is that? I wanted to go and you were like, Neo. Well, it was a school night. So? And it was, anyway, we're not going to get into this right now. They have been covering that song throughout their, their current tour. I'm hoping they'll do it again when I see them with your mom again this fall. Again, you can, without you. 
You're mean to me. <laughs> Fall? Well, late summer. summer. It's in August, yeah. Was, I think it was in August last year, too, actually. That song is uh, it's called Heroes. It's by David Bowie. And there's a lot of parallels you could look at with the show and with that song. Uh, some of them that, that I drew in my mind, the song was inspired by a visit to the Berlin Wall. Do you know what the Berlin Wall was? Wasn't it during the Cold War? Yeah, well, it came down during the at the end of the Cold War. Do you know when it went up or why it went up? Or what caused it to go up? Where it was at? Anything like that? Wasn't it? Didn't it go up in like the 1970s or something like that? No, it was before then. It was after World War II. I don't know. It took some time to construct it, so I don't know the full dates of when it was started and completed and all that. It separated East Berlin from West Berlin. The East side was controlled by uh, the Russians, communism, stuff like that. And then the East side, or the West side rather, um, by... So at at the end of the war... Uh, one group took possession of the east side, and one group took possession of the. And I'm I'm not a history buff. I don't know the. I'm gonna. If I, I feel like I, if I say too much, I'm gonna show just how ignorant I am on this. But but basically, one side was under communist control, and the other side was was free. You know, they enjoyed freedoms like we enjoy in our country. And you had families who were some lived on one side and some lived on the other, and the communist side would not let you defect to the other side. Sometimes you could get a pass. It was really hard to get a pass to go see, but you know, families were separated by this wall. And this, so this wall was a, a point of division between loved ones. And so I kind of see that. So David Bowie was at that wall and he saw a couple from one lived on one side, one lived on the other. And they had that chance to, to see each other and embrace and kiss. And so that they had broken through the wall, uh, if you will, to share that moment of love. And so that's what inspired that song. But just the idea of there being a barrier separating two sides, I think, certainly has a parallel in the, in the show. Couldn't he just, like, crawl through the hole? Who? Or, like, whenever he saw the people, like, unless it was, like, a gate or something, like, couldn't, couldn't they just go through the hole in the wall? It wasn't a hole in the wall. Are you talking about the Berlin Wall? Yeah. No, it was a huge wall. It was probably 15 feet tall. It was it was thick. It was, I don't know how feet, many feet thick it was. You said that they got to see each other, though. How did they do that? Well, there were, there were, like, there were patrolled areas where you could cross from one side to the other, but that's just it. They were patrolled. You couldn't just freely walk from one side to the other. What if you were on the free side and you wanted to join the not free side? I don't know. I don't know why you would want to, but I don't know what the protocols were. Cool. Yeah. Um, there was some, I didn't take good notes on this. There were some other parallels. Did some of the lyrics, there was a, some of the lyrics for me, the, the symbolism they conjure up is just, if we could muster all of our strength or all of our abilities just for one day and accomplish what we have in our, in our visions, then we could be heroes. That's, that's, that's my, that's my interpretation of the lyrics. And I can see that type of desire fitting into the mentality of some of the characters in the show, right? If we could just like the boys, they're getting ready with all they have stones and, and, and a slingshot, you know, what they, Lucas refused to call it a slingshot. Um, uh, what what did he call it? Um, arm, arm rocket. So they're like that. 
something like that. wrist rocket wrist rocket yeah. yeah you know but if they could if, if they could just muster up all their strengths and all their abilities and everything would go their way for just one day they could be heroes and get will back so anyway i think i just thought it was a really solid uh, song choice for the end of the episode they're really good at picking songs they really are and I'm i love the background it. music um yep. back in episode one whenever you're first introduced to the kids um in the second scene i love the song that they're playing right there i mean it's just music but it's my favorite song on the stranger things volume one soundtrack i can't really decide if i like that or the theme song more but they're really close like um the song is actually called kids and it's just music no words or anything but yeah it's the song that's played whenever you're you're first introduced to the well kids um well not 11 of course but she gets her own theme music she's cool like that (laughs) yeah i'm with you the music is great all right any other thoughts on this fantastic episode nah all right but i do love this episode i do too (laughs) i really do all right let's uh, move into our next segment it's the listener feedback segment we call it notes from the upside down All right, we've got one feedback for today's episode, and this is no surprise. He's been sending feedback in every episode. Who is it? Jeff. Jeff, here he is. Transmissions from the Upside Down. Hey, Daryl and Addie. This is Jeff leaving my feedback for Chapter 3. This episode was so well shot. I really love the kind of back and forth between ecstasy and agony at the very beginning and at the very end with uh, the couples hugging there at the very end. Um, The two sets of parents hugging. And I just love that we got so much more insight into Elle and who she is. We just really had a heartbreaking episode with uh, Will's mom, and um, it's just so uh, moving, this episode, just the desperateness that she's going through. And so it was a great episode. We really got to see uh, Hopper dig into the mystery and wake up past where he was before. So all around, just a great episode. I can't wait to hear y'all's thoughts on it. X-Force 11 out. All right, Jeff. I'm glad to hear he he's also liking Hopper's work. Unlike mm-hmm. the liber- librarian, we can appreciate the work that Hopper is putting into this case. Yeah, because uh, she she mentions uh, something like, aren't you supposed to be looking for that kid? Yeah. Well, I am. I am, smarty pants. All right. Well, thank you, Jeff. If you want to be one of the cool kids like Jeff and send us in your thoughts for a future episode, we would love that a lot. You can do that by heading over to our feedback page, which is goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. There you can type out a contribution, you can upload an audio file, or you can use our SpeakPipe widget to record a contribution. Or you can simply call 304-837-2278 and leave a voice message um, on our voicemail system. 
And I also want to give a shout out to Karen. We heard her feedback uh, in episode one. Well, in an episode, we, we heard her feedback in episode two. She gave us some great feedback about uh, the X-Men comic and then her thoughts on episode two. She left us an iTunes review as well. So now we have two iTunes review, one from Jeff, one from Karen. I was going to so. leave us a review, but then I was like, nah, <laughs> I'm too lazy to do this. <laughs> I do feel weird about leaving a review from my own podcast. I, I really? Bet, yeah. it's, like, it's like commenting on your own Instagram posts. I do it all the time. Do you? Well, yeah, you should go in there and leave us an iTunes review. And to all of you listening, you should also go do that, or we would appreciate it. I'm not going to tell you what you should do, but we would certainly appreciate that. Just head over to you, iTunes or Google Play, whatever your favorite podcast app is, and uh, give us a review. We would sure appreciate that. That'll help other people uh, you know, see our, discover our show, because it'll kind of boost us up in the iTunes ranking. Make us a little bit more visible. Speaking of visibility, one of the ways we are visible and putting ourselves out there to the public is via social media. Addison, tell them more. Our Instagram is Stranger Things GSM. Our Twitter is Upside Down GSM. And our Facebook is Facebook.com slash groups slash Stranger Things GSM. Excellent. We've been having some some good discussions over on our, on our Facebook page. That's where I kind of hang out. Addison does the other stuff. Yeah, I kind so of she- just ignore it. Oh, you got to do a better job then. You got to get out there and, and have chats with people. No, I, I ignore our Facebook page. I do everything else. Oh. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I misunderstood what you meant. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so we'd love to have you join us over there and, and continue the conversation. Or if Instagram is your thing, you know, join Addy over there and uh, have some great conversations. Yep. Yep. All right. Speaking of uh, conversations with Addy, what did you pick for this week's quote of the week? All right. So this quote of the week was pretty hard to pick out because I went through the entire episode a couple times and I couldn't find anything that I wanted to use because I usually look for something short and funny. So yeah, most of the time um, I it's something by the kids. Um, but this time I couldn't really find anything like really out there and funny and stuff. That's, you know, by one person, not like a conversation between two people. Or I probably would have done the scene with Dustin dumping out all his snacks. Because um, like I said earlier, I was going to do the list of snacks that he mentioned. Right. Um, so the quote of the week is blink once for yes, twice for no. And that's by Joyce. Will, are you here? <sighs> okay, good, 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 good. Are you... <gasps> blink. Once for yes, twice for no. Can you do that for me, sweetie? Can you do that? Oh, good boy, good boy. Maybe I need to know. Are you alive? Winona Ryder's just doing a great job. I don't know how she's able to to come across so emotionally invested in every single one of these scenes that she's in, but she's doing a great job. Yeah, she is. There's a 
song um, on the Stranger Things playlist that's called Blink Once for Yes, Twice for No, or something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, that's not the exact name, but it's something like that. Okay. I have basically the whole thing memorized, and like I'm just going through all the episodes, and I'm just like, oh, hey, I recognize that song. It's called Blah Blah Blah. All right, Addie, we're really ready for the Mame of the Week. For my predictions, I'm looking at the predictions that I have here, and I just talked about all of them as we talked about the episode. Uh, they were who's controlling the lights to Demogorgon or Will. Uh, my parallel dimension theory is looking pretty good, and Will is not, all caps, dead. So we've talked about all those predictions already. So I think we're ready for the Mame of the Week. So our meme of the week is um, a picture of (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, the what's his name? Marlon. I don't know his name from Finding Nemo. The dad from Finding Nemo. With Joyce's face photoshopped on it. (laughs) And the caption is, have you seen my son? (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. I'm so glad you picked this one. It's kind of hard finding a meme. It's kind of hard finding a meme um, that's not, you know, really basic mm-hmm. and it's like spoiler free. Mm. So, uh, well, thanks for thinking of me and others that haven't seen the whole series yet or season. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good stuff. I like it. So if you want to check that out, you can Google it up or head over to our website, goldenspiralmedia.com slash stranger things. This is episode number three. And you can find uh, Addie's blog post that she has written about the episode, as well as our meme of the week. Our meme of the week. And our feedback information. All of it right there. GoldenSpiralMedia.com slash Stranger Things. Once again, social media is um, Stranger Things GSM for Instagram, Upside Down GSM for Twitter, Facebook.com slash groups slash Stranger Things GSM. Did you do that from memory? I did. Wow, mom couldn't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, Addie, any closing thoughts? I like Stranger Things. Yeah, I do too. I love Stranger Things. I mispronounce love. Who, who could do that? Yeah. And uh, you know what? Not only do I love that, I love uh, doing this podcast with you. Looking forward to watching episode four tonight and talking uh-huh. about it with you soon. Yeah, I, I can't wait to do the next podcast because episode four is, it is, a big one? is it's home to one of my favorite scenes, which uh, after you watch it, I'll tell you which one it is. You know, episodes four in TV series are typically the tipping point for me. Like if I, if I haven't bought into the show yet, it, 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 I have found that episode four is that episode that usually puts me over the edge. The Lost season four is one of the best episodes ever. Season four? Uh, episode four. Uh, seems like Fringe. Oh, yeah. Fringe season. Oh boy. Fringe episode four is amazing. That's the first time we see those little binoculars that you have on the shelf right above Observer you. glasses. That's right. So episodes four are typically pretty good ones. So I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I was hooked from, you know, the first five minutes mm-hmm. of it. But um, I don't really have one favorite scene through the whole series. I have several uh-huh. and I, I can't wait to tell them. To <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I can't wait to do it either. And I hope that you will tune in and join us for that episode. And until next time, stay strange. <laughs> <laughs>